Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I always say, I'm a perfect example of the American dream. Can you do something with the birth date on our license? Uh -oh, yeah. You know, so he did a pretty good job. He did. The biggest problem I had once I turned 21, I didn't want to be 23. Mario Andretti is a Formula One world champion, four-time IndyCar champion, winner of both the Indianapolis 500 and the Daytona 500, and did I mention the driver of the century? So when you hear all that, where do you even start? Well, lucky for me, Mario made it easy. Uh, we were sitting right on the set at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum, and uh, right in the background was his 1967 Indy 500 pole winning car. And he walks up, it was a welcome sight to him, he's like, well, this changed everything. And he started walking me around the car, showing me all the different things that they did differently in terms of aerodynamics and engineering. I'm like, wait, Mario, we haven't even started recording yet. So at that point, I knew we were going to be off to a great start. By the way, this is Andrew Curlin. You're listening to Next Level, and Mario Andretti is the next residency almost on this show in our Dirty Mo Media platforms. But back to that 67 car, which you can see visually, it's in the background of our YouTube series, which is on Dirty Mo Media's, obviously, YouTube channel and, and all of our other social platforms. I suggest you go check that out because the visual and, and being able to see Mario's facial expressions is great in that. But this is the podcast. This is where everything is going to be unedited. You're going to hear that conversation start to finish. You're going to hear all the great moments um, that, that we didn't get to showcase on our video series. This is the place to be if you want full access to Mario Andretti. But this conversation and part one is all about the early days for Mario growing up and particularly hiding and lying about his racing to certain people, whether that be hiding just the complete knowledge that Mario was a race car driver from his dad or forging certain documents from race organizers to get in certain events. We've got it all. The stories are free flowing. And I said uh, earlier this week that I don't know if Mario is a better race car driver or a better storyteller. So with that said, enough of just hearing me talk about it. Let's get to that conversation. Part one of Next Level with Mario Andretti live from Indianapolis. Let's give it a listen. Mario, so good to see you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking some time to do this out of your busy schedule. My pleasure, Andrew. Thanks for having me. So you walked up and immediately <laughs> we saw this car and, and the stories already started flowing before we got the cameras to, to get going. So, so tell me about this car that we see behind us. Well, yeah, this was really a welcome sight, quite honestly, <laughs> as I walked on this, on this set. And uh, this car, just uh, the Brunner Hawk, just bring back such fun memories because of the success we had and uh, how good it, this car was, especially here at Indianapolis. 
And um, as you can see, there's a little bit of aerodynamic work on yeah. it. Uh, and this was the very first time on a single seater that we put some aerodynamic aspect to it, which was very, very useful. You know, at uh, the first race that I drove with this setup, which was in uh, Trenton, New Jersey, just before uh, Indianapolis, um, I set a new track record and I, I led every lap, you know, a 200 miler. Uh, and so it was a beginning, put this car on pole when we, uh, for the 67 race. And uh, throughout the season, you know, we won some road races with this and uh, ovals. And so again, yeah, I'm looking at this, this is my baby. <laughs> it sounds like it's been good to you. It's been good to me. What, what kind of aerodynamic changes, modifications did you make to it? Well, actually, it started out with the tail, where it was put like a duck tail, because, uh, and, and that was by accident in that sense, because they just wanted to expand the tail to allow more airflow in the, uh, for the gearbox, which uh, earlier on, you know, had some issues, temperature issues. And, um, and so that's all we did. And, uh, and just before coming, to going to Trenton, um, uh, we were testing in Phoenix. This is where the team was based. And, um, and all of a sudden the front end was flying. Mm. I think, oh man, you know, we haven't got much time and so forth. Uh, yeah, no time to, to test it again. And so we were thinking, what do we do? And I was thinking of the Chaparral, the sports car, you know, they, already, they were into the aerodynamic aspect and, and they had this uh, chin spoilers on the front fenders. And we tried, we duplicated that you know, to put on the nose of this car and just figure, okay, we'll give it that shape. We had no idea, no try. And, um, and when the car arrived, uh, I said, well, I blessed it. <laughs> <laughs> and we went out there and it really felt balanced. You know, we just got lucky. And, um, and that's it. So that was the beginning of a more aerodynamic aspect on a single seater. And, and then everyone followed, seems yeah, like. How quickly did they pick up on it? They, you know, it took a little bit, you know, but they uh, obviously, you know, uh, if the car is up front and it looks mm -hmm. different, you know, there was, uh, it's normal, you know, yeah. to look around, look over your shoulder and uh, say, what aren't we doing, you know? And, uh, and these are the things you couldn't hide. Yeah. <laughs> was, was out there. And, and um, yeah, yeah, they, uh, there was a follow through, you know, then, uh, you know, later on, wings and a lot, lot of things started coming on the scene, yeah. Anything you try to do to, not just with this car, but just to throw other teams off the scent, keep them, keep them away for as long as possible? Yeah, you wish you could, you know, <laughs> yeah. because they're much smarter than that, you know. Everybody have their eyes open, and uh, that's normal in, in, in motor racing, obviously. Um, you, you know, anything that you could spot or or the engineers could see, oh, oh, you know. Yeah. There's always something that somebody else is doing better for some reason. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so you have to keep your eyes open. And then, then there's a lot of conversation at the local, uh, local bar, you know, <laughs> watering hole with mechanics and they figure, oh yeah, you know, uh, what are you guys doing? And then, you <laughs> know, casual, some yeah. mechanics like to talk more than others. <laughs> <laughs> She it works both ways, by the way. Yeah. You know, someone on your side leaked stuff over too. So, 
But that, that's the trend, that was the trend, especially then, you know, you didn't have computers, you know, so you, you don't have that type of data, you know, to, and uh, so you had to go out there and buy somebody a beer, maybe two, and um, you'd be surprised the information you got out of them. I find those stories fascinating, and I, I wish I knew more about, you know, the, the X's and O's of the actual physical engineering of car, but it seems like you were really hands-on when it came to working with the team and the crew. Where did you get that, uh, you know, first sense of, of being able to work on cars? Well, Andrew uh, thought I was, and I was never a mechanic. I, should say. I never tried to represent that aspect. But uh, one thing that I learned early on, the more I knew about the dynamics, suspension, and what everything is doing, you know, roll centers and all that, uh, the more I could help myself. And the more balanced the car is, the easier it is to drive. So I was doing that for my own best interest also, you know. And, uh, you know, I got a job to do. And uh, so every aspect of what's happening to a race car, you know, I was on it. I was on it for my own best interest. And, and, um, and it started from the very first time. I mean, the very first car that my twin brother Aldo and I built to race locally, a stock car. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we, uh, we were on it. And were we mechanics? No, but we assembled couple other buddies and you got the geek that knows everything and 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 that's how you you learn we bought we bought information from an existing NASCAR team hmm. Marshall Tick team you know to actually to set up the car to race locally and it was had the setups that uh, we were winning with you know so right then and there I realized you know how important it was to really know and understand what make these things tick so all along I mean um, I didn't just sit in, in an office somewhere and just talk to the chief mechanic or the engineer I always you know used to go in the garage and watch and and everything else but make sure that a lot of the things that uh, are on the paper there to do that they're followed through and was for my own interest yeah and, uh, and, and again, it worked for me. It worked for me very well. Then the other thing, too, I had the opportunity to do a lot of testing in those years because uh, uh, there was this uh, big uh, competition between the two-tire company, the two giants, you right. know, Firestone yeah. and Goodyear, and I was on the Firestone side. And uh, you'd be surprised how many miles you put under your belt and you're able, you have the, the luxury to test a lot of little things and see what happened? So uh, I owe Firestone a great deal because I said this a million times because uh, of those opportunities. And uh, so all put together, you know, knowledge is <laughs> is very important in any business. And um, and here there's so many moving parts in our sport, you know. Yeah. And with the race car, you got a myriad of uh, of uh, setup things that tweaks that you can do to the chassis, you know, to, to, to make it work, to find a sweet spot, if you will. And um, it, was, it was actually challenging, but fun, you know, to see the response that you were getting from things. So I, I was on that part. You touched on Firestone. I know you've had a relationship with them for so long. Still do. And, and you still <laughs> do, right. Uh, what was the almost tire wars like between Firestone and Goodyear and, and what drew you to Firestone? 
Well, it just uh, it just happened that uh, you know the team that I was driving for the Dean Van Lines they already had a relationship with Firestone, and uh, so when they hired me, actually they gave me the job, uh, and when they tested me the first time, which was in Trenton, New Jersey, in the Roadster, uh, I was there with uh, alongside of Pernelli Jones and Roger Ward. I mean, you know, veterans and winners and champions. And, uh, and somehow uh, the engineers liked the feedback that I was giving uh, because it was something fresh, you know, from a rookie. <laughs> and, uh, and it started from there. So, um, yeah, that's how the relationship began. And, and it continued to get stronger and stronger, obviously. Uh, and it was, to me, it was, uh, it was, awesome, challenging, and also so much to look forward to because uh, I was at the beginning of uh, modern tire development, if you will. Right, yeah. You know, when we were still running, you can see this groove tires and so forth. And the in immense progress that we were making, like, like from year to year, and these years, like in the mid-60s and so forth, uh, from year to year, you didn't even need a new car. The performance factor that came out of the tire was amazing, and uh, and and it was fun, you know, in that sense. Uh, uh, and so, and then I was part of uh, the tr transition from uh, cross-ply tire to radial tires. In fact, I was the very first one to have ra radial tire install, and now in my car in the test. And that was in, uh, in California, in Ontario, which was, uh, you know, the, the, the replica of Indianapolis, really. The yeah. track was a two and a half mile. And um, I remember I was told, uh, you know, be careful, take it in. I said, what am I going to do, uh, 195 instead of 205? You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, and the third lap, the belt came loose and I had a big crash. You know, so that was my first test with radials, but things got better after that. <laughs> you know, so somebody had to do it the first time, you know, so. Uh, but uh, again, the, the tremendous progress that was made was, uh, to me, was so much rewarding and fun because, you know, what are you looking for? Traction, right. performance. You know, you want a corner quicker. And, um, and, and again, uh, I was part of all that, and, uh, and that was golden for me, obviously, uh, to understand, actually, you know, the construction of the tire, what, you know, with the, uh, the value of, uh, you know, from different track, because, you know, you don't have the same tire for everywhere. You got a tire for the short ovals, you got a tire for a super speedway, and, and, and something in the middle, a different tire for road courses, you know, so it's, uh, it's a very tricky situation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You touched a little bit on those early days and, and, and going to the track with Aldo, and I know your, your childhood was an interesting one. World War II seemed to turn 
a lot of that upside down. What was it like growing up in the, in the middle of that overseas? Well, you know, I always look at this, uh, you know, to make it short and sweet, um, a negative becoming a positive mm. for us in our life. Because, uh, okay, our family was displaced because uh, the land was occupied after World War II by communist Yugoslavia. It was a peninsula of Istria, northeast of Italy. They had to give up territory because they lost the war. And then uh, we were, you know, either succumb to communism or, or leave. And uh, over 300,000 people in that region left. And we were refugees in our own country. But uh, somehow, for whatever reason, uh, Aldo and I gravitated to motor racing, to the sport. Hmm. And why? Because I think uh, Italy was a big protagonist in the sport, especially when yeah. Formula One became official in the early 50s. And at that time, we, did, we were just uh, early teenagers, Aldo and I. I was born in 1940, you know, so you can see that. And, um, and so again, um, but, that was an impossible dream. So coming to the United States, uh, that's when possibilities opened up. I always say, I'm a perfect example of the American dream. And um, you know, I often, uh, I often used to say to my dad, I said, you know, because you know, he left, you know, his life was turned upside down. You know, I said, Dad, you did this for our future and it's paying off. I said, we could have never realized anything, you know, to pursue our careers if we would have stayed there. So, again, uh, it, it worked peachy for us. When we arrived in the States, uh, I, we arrived on a Thursday, immediately on a Sunday, it was in June, on a Sunday night, we, we, we hear a big roar of engine lights, you know, at the, at the south end of, of town of Nazareth. And Aldo and I looked at each other, ooh, we just booked and we saw, we were peeking through there in the fence and uh, we saw these modified stock cars running on a half mile track <laughs> at the fairgrounds. And, uh, and we looked at each other and said, well, you know what? Because we already saw one uh, Formula One race in Italy before we left yeah. in Monza. And I said, well, these don't look like Formula Ones, but it looks very doable. You know, two years later, Aldo and I, as I told you, four other buddies, we started building a car to race there. Yeah. Yeah. Was that a sense of familiarity? You know, you're, you moved to a completely new place, but they're still racing there. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the point. Yeah. You know? uh, the, the, the thing is, all of a sudden, it uh, seemed like uh, a possibility opened up for us. That's the main thing. And, um, and the dream that seemed impossible all of a sudden, sudden seemed like it was doable, and we pursued it. And uh, my dad, we couldn't <laughs> tell my dad because uh, you know he had the, the you know, he, protective you know instinct you know for us uh, you know the sport uh, obviously not as uh, safe as it is today, and and all, all he really knew about the negative side of fatalities you know mm -hmm. which was he could read about always and. Um, but uh, Aldo and I still pursued it, and um, sooner or later he had to learn. Yeah. But uh, nevertheless, you know, that's how it all started for us. How'd you pursue it in secret? Like, where'd you keep the car? 
Oh, hey, we were like gypsies, you know, <laughs> here and there, you know, wherever we could. And but we had some uh, local local f friend uh, that actually my dad worked for him at Block Plant, Jimmy Taviani, who uh, helped us. Uh, you know, he had a machine shop and everything else. And we had a cousin that was a great welder. And so one thing or another, we we figured out a way. And uh, the best part to keep it away from was the language barrier. Mm. You know, and uh, I remember, you know, many times we, we, we were winning. We were winning some races locally and we still have, you know, the paper clips and so forth. But uh, the point is uh, at work, his boss would say, hey, Gigi, you know, your kids are really doing well. He had no idea what the guy was talking about, you know. <laughs> so, and uh, he only found out, you know, when uh, that we were racing at the very last race of the season in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. It was an invitational and Aldo got hurt. Mm. He was given his last rights that night. And, uh, and you know, he pulled through, obviously, but uh, that's how he found out, you know. And as soon as Aldo came through, came to, uh, the first thing he said to me, he says, I'm sure glad you had to be the one to face the old man. <laughs> oh, man. And what was that like? What was his reaction? Right. Yeah, well, <laughs> my reaction said, yeah, I had to face the old man. Oh, yeah. I said it was not good. Yeah. Yeah, the scene was not good. What did your dad say? Oh, I, it wasn't pretty. Yeah. It wasn't pretty. But at the same time, you know, obviously, you know, he was, I said, I hope Aldo would be okay because Aldo was in a coma for a long time. Right. Yeah. And your dad ultimately took a turn on his opinion of racing. So how did that happen where he started warming up to it? Well, my dad realized, obviously, that this was going to be our path, and then he became the biggest, uh, you know, supporter. supporter. As a matter of fact, <laughs> the very first uh, champ car race, Indy car race that I drove in, uh, in 1964 at Trenton, local, you know, based fairly local, obviously attended that race, and he was very proud, and, and it was my first race, and, and uh, you know, it was, it was not easy. I had no testing or nothing. You know, I only had driven sprint cars and midgets at that point. And, um, and, and I finished 11th, and he was disappointed. You uh -huh. know, he, he says, oh, I thought you were gonna win. You know, <laughs> I was, oh, okay, Dad. <laughs> but he was, you know, like I said, God bless him, you know, he was, he, he was, you know, obviously biggest, you know, supporter. He was there for many of our wins. Yeah. You know. Now your dad, you know, as you mentioned, didn't know that first year. How much did your mom know about you and all the racing? Moms always know, but she was caught in the middle. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, and my mom knew, uh, but um, she didn't dare say anything. You know, she just uh, let it go let us do our thing and uh, my mom really understood us a little bit differently a little better you know <laughs> wonderful mom you and your brother obviously are sharing a race car those first couple of years how did you decide who raced on what night well actually uh it was uh the first race was a toss coin, coin flip? toss yeah <laughs> and uh and i was glad that he won the toss because <laughs> Honestly, and he won the heat and the feature. They started him last. I mean, we did a, actually, without knowing, we really did a pretty good job lately. And we brought in a Hudson 48 Hudson body, which actually that style car was winning, was a car that was winning a lot of the dirt races in NASCAR. That's mm. why we chose that. Yeah. And, um, 
and it turned out to be very successful for us. And uh, so, and then I had, it was, onus was on me to win my first race. And the pressure was on, yeah. Yeah, pressure was on, which I did. <laughs> and then for that, we won, we crashed, we did all the, all the things that you do, but, uh, but it was good. It was very successful for us throughout the season. And, you know, to answer your question, uh, he, you know, it started out, he drove, then I drove, then he drove, you know, that's how it was. Because, like I said, right to the last race, we had just one car. But the, for the last race, I got a ride with somebody else. And Aldo was driving our car. Mm. And uh, in the qualifying heat, he was trying to beat the track champion, which was Freddie Adams. He didn't have to because he was already qualified. I was second, and I was almost throwing him up because I was already qualified. And, uh, and he hooked. You know, coming off uh, turn two, he hooked the guardrail and he went end over end, end over end. You know, there was a, and he had a, a skull fracture, base of a skull. And uh, by the way, at that time I had to borrow a helmet because uh, throughout the whole season we had one helmet. Sharing the same helmet too. <laughs> <Same helmet. laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. Where'd you, who'd you, you borrow it from? You gotta do what you gotta do. Exactly. Yeah. You gotta be resourceful. Who'd you borrow the helmet from? Well, the driver that was normally driving that other car, you know, and somehow oh, yeah. the helmet fit me okay. Did, yeah. I was gonna say, did it fit? It fit yeah. okay then? Yeah, I have a pinhead, but uh, you know, it fit all right. Oh my gosh. Um, I heard a story. You guys had to convince race organizers that you guys, you know, were fit to race at your first race? What well, that? you know, that, that's a story there, actually, because yeah. uh, in, we started building the car in 1957, two years after we arrived. And uh, to be racing legally in those years, uh, you had to be 21 because mm -hmm. of insurance and so on and so forth, professionally, I should say. Um, and uh, so the car was ready when we were 19. And we figured, we're not gonna wait two years. And, uh, and, you know, Aldo and I, we, <laughs> here again, you know, as twins, uh, we work, you know, we leapfrog each other. One, <laughs> one night after school, he worked for uh, an uncle at, a, at the local gas station, Snoka gas station, and then I worked. Was, we befriended a lot of people in town, you know, that uh, even though a short time there, but uh, the uh, editor of the Nazareth Key newspaper, Les Young, uh, we approached him, we said, uh, Les, can you do something with the birth date on our license? Oh, yeah. You know, so he did a pretty good job. He did. And then, but we looked pretty young. So Aldo and, and I, you know, we, we, uh, we uh, ordered we, two uh, driving suits, yeah. Sala Sport, Italian driving suit. One was white, one was blue, with all the zippers and everything, you know, so we looked the part. Yeah. And then we floated a story which we, I had a heck of a time to, you know, to yeah. just nix that, uh, that uh, we used to race Formula Junior in Italy, <laughs> Stanguilini. And, <laughs> and this story was actually picked up by the auto spring, by, you know, by the really? uh, Italian press. Oh <laughs> some of our relatives said, oh, we don't remember you driving. Oh my God, <laughs> you made it all the way back to Italy? <laughs> so, but like I said, you know, we had to say something, you know, and then, and then, you know, there were all these Italian kids, you know, they used to race in Italy, you know, but, <laughs> and uh, the biggest problem I had once I turned 21, I didn't want to be 23. Yeah, know, yeah, so like, so, 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 so I had to be honest. <laughs> 
<laughs> to be honest. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. Yeah. You've been 21 for That's three That's what we years. had to do. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, you progress and, and, and you start getting better. When did you realize that this was what you wanted to do? I didn't take much time for me to realize yeah. what I wanted to do is that the, the biggest question was as I progressed through the ranks, you know, there's always a question, can I, do I belong there? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and fortunately, fortunately, when I look back, I mean, uh, I, as soon as possible, as soon as I actually, I was legal, <laughs> um, at 21, I, I wanted to get into midgets, open wheel. And, um, and Aldo continued to race, you know, the stock car for, for a couple of years. But uh, uh, I, and I got a, you know, we, it's another long story, but uh, uh, started out with a three-quarter midget, they, which was racing indoor. And I know that uh, they were all basically the, the owners for the uh, premier Syria, which was the ARDC, the East Coast Midget uh, Organization that they had, you know, the stellar, you know, the top of the line midgets there with the, you know, uh, icons like Len Duncan, Tony Bonadiz, Tony Ram, you know, all the, all the drivers that, you know, have a tremendous history. And my idea was to get to that. And, uh, and so somehow we managed, again, it's a long story, I don't think we have the time, but uh, I wound up with uh, driving this quarter midget and, and, this, and I was, things were good. I was, uh, you know, I really loved that style of racing and, and I won the biggest race of that winter, which was uh, the Hunter Lapper in Teaneck, New Jersey. And this was in 1961. And that uh, propelled me to, a full major ride with the Mateka brothers, you know, and ARDC, and they uh, they had a good car, but they hadn't won races yet, and I won the first race for them. In fact, uh, in 1963, I won three races, three features in one day, Labor Day, was a uh, heat and feature and match race in, in, uh, in New Jersey, in, and, uh, and then there was uh, the night there was uh, Flemington, New Jersey, and then it was a night race in Hatfield, where you know we, we raced a stock car, and uh, then there was a, a final feature. There was a rainout feature to rain, and I won that one as well. And uh, I'll never forget that uh, you know Chris Economaki was the man, you know, those days because he he was the editor of Speed Sport News. Yeah. You know, there was a bible of our racing. And I think that's when he actually started taking notice. And, and, and I'll never forget this voice when I was on a cool down lap of the third feature win. I, I heard a shrilling voice. He said, Mario, you just want your ticket to the big time. Those words, you know, you talk about encouragement. Yeah. You know, and, uh, but you know what's interesting also, Andrew? While I was just getting, I don't know why, and I even had told Dan Gurney this. While, while I was getting pushed off for the third race, what I was thinking in my head, Formula One, I was thinking of something. I said, because Dan Gurney just went to Formula One at that time, and I said, oh, you know, an American. 
here getting pushed off on a dirt track and imagine I'm thinking Formula One. I'll never forget that. And, I, and I've said that, you know, to them many times too, but uh, it's amazing what goes through your brain, you know, and, uh, and how you look ahead, you know, and things. But uh, going back to your question, you know, when do you realize you belong? And it's, it's when you win. If you win, so you know what? Think, you know what? I belong here. And um, my very first race in the full-size midget um, was uh, in Denbury, Connecticut. And it was really a premium event because for some reason the prize money was the best. And used to get like 32, 34 midget for that, to try to qualify. And they would only qualify 16 cars for the feature. Mm. And, and so the guy that was really the man there was Dutch Schaefer. You know, he was the one who was, you know, veteran winning there. And uh, I went out in a warm up. I said, just push me off right behind him. And, and I'm keeping up with him, you know. And I figured, wow, you know, I've got to have a chance here. And I qualified in the heat, I qualified. And, uh, and so moments like that, you know, they're pivotal in so many ways. But, um, you know, as you go through the ranks, you just don't know. All you have is you're driven by desire, passion. You know, you want to do it so bad. You know, but you don't know what the final result could ever be. But, um, you know, I was lucky, you know, to land with the right people, you know, along the way that uh, helped me. Obviously, you know, I had a good car, you know, that was capable and I brought it there. So um, then that went, you know, that was from there I went to... Uh, USAC sprint cars and um, you know if you win there there I was winning and I won some races you know with that Foyt, Branson, Ansys were part of it and um, and then then somehow names start floating around to right areas and uh, and when Chuck Coss got hurt at uh, in a sprint car race in, uh, in, uh, in Ohio I think it was New Bremen uh, I was there but I think it, was between New Bremen and Maldora. I can always say this, it's about, I, get, I get those two mixed up. It was uh, two great half-mile tracks, you know, that, that we raced. And, uh, and then it was a seat open, you know, and, uh, for Indy cars. And that's when my name started floating around. Can you believe, though, that uh, actually uh, one of the names that was named to be uh, tested for that seat was Roger Pensky. Really? He tells this story sometimes because he was an active driver at the time. And, uh, and actually, he was the one that was slated to be tested at the Trenton tire test. And uh, somehow, the last minute, he had a, an obligation, you know, a business uh, meeting somewhere. Which <laughs> and uh, so they called me. And, uh, and I got the job. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you talk about that with him He today? talks about it too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he says, oh yeah, Mario owes me something because you know. <laughs> so there you heard it. That was part one, the first installment of our conversation with Mario Andretti and uh, you know, I, I hate talking just to the microphone without without anybody else. So I'm bringing in our head of content, Tiff Powers, uh, to talk a little bit about that first part. You obviously heard it. What stood out to you about about part one with Mario? 
Well, first, I was really excited to hear this whole series. I wasn't up there in Indy with you, obviously, but we were keeping in touch and you were relaying how much quality content you got yeah. with Mario. And we knew he was going to be an amazing interview. But after listening to it, like it absolutely lived up to what I hoped it would be. Um, his story is just so unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, growing up in Italy till he was, what, 14 or 15 years old, mm -hmm. having to evacuate the country to escape communism, come here. Like, he talks about being the American dream. His story is just crazy. But to want to race so badly that you have to hide it from your family. Yeah. Well, not from his twin brother, Aldo, <laughs> but from his dad. Uh, put everything together with, like, the friends they made in town. That was one of the most enjoyable parts to me was hearing him talk about how it was like the newspaper editor who was helping them uh, create their the like fake birthdays on their yeah. IDs yeah. so that they could be old enough to race. Um, and then he mentioned a couple other people in town that he that like helped them out with racing. So they had this whole network set up to help them mm -hmm. get going in the race car. And I think that's so awesome. I was also impressed that he still remembered like everyone's name. Yes. Through the whole thing. Like if you listen to this whole first part, he mentions names of people like all the way through. Oh, yeah. From back in the town, the people that helped him to different drivers that were in race cars that he got in after. It's just uh, his memory is unbelievable. The names and dates. That shocked me. I can't remember what I did yesterday, <laughs> much less back, you know. I guess that's 60 what, years ago. Yeah, exactly. That's what makes him a good storyteller, <laughs> right? I guess. He's and, an amazing storyteller. And I teased it up. I don't know if he's a better race car driver or a better storyteller because I really feel like, especially after this part, he was neck and neck. The one the one thing, and you kind of touched on it, yep. that I found was interesting was being able to pull it off and, and keep it from his dad for so long until yeah. Aldo eventually got injured and his dad had to find out. But that was one of the questions I want to know is like, where did you keep this car? Like, obviously you had to go somewhere where he wasn't to work on this race car and it was right under his nose the whole time. I think that was fascinating to really see how how far they were able to go. It was super interesting. And then when he said that the language barrier helped them <laughs> like hide it from her dad, that was classic line. The other classic line of that whole part, which I appreciate as a mom, was when he said like, well, moms know everything. Yeah. Like we couldn't hide it for a mom, but she just <laughs> kept it quiet because she didn't want to be in the middle of it. So that made me laugh for sure too. And then you see like as his career progresses, he talks about, I think in there, um, he wins a, a sprint car race or something and he's already on dirt maybe and he's already thinking about Formula One. Yeah. Just like the dreams that these kids had and not only just to dream it, but then to like go do it, the stuff that they were able to put together on their own. I mean, their dad didn't even know about it when they were yeah. starting. So they're putting this together on their own, figuring out how to do it and clearly had this amazing driving talent. I mean, we know you know, the great racer that Mario Andretti becomes, but to see even from the beginning, just winning in everything he yeah. sat in, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, the first race him and Aldo entered, they both won right. just about everything. That's insane. And and like, and you know, he was pretending like they were Formula Formula Junior racers and it really right. was just their first race and they went out and won it. Um, and then yeah. when he said he had to had to like set that record straight later because they had lied that they were these <laughs> formula e racers or whatever yeah. he said in uh italy 
and then that got picked up by the Italian I press. I love that. And later he had to try to kill that story because <laughs> no, they were like, man, sorry, we like don't remember you. did too good you. of a job. <laughs> right. They were even convinced that they had just forgotten that yeah. Mario Andretti raced in Italy when it really never happened. Yeah. And his laughter was infectious. Like, he just started cracking himself up telling these stories. Yeah. And I was just along for the ride to, to hear all those. And, I mean, there were so many things from just that first 30 minutes that I didn't know. But, you you touched on it and that's what's coming next is he's you know being pushed away in a sprint car and all he could think about is formula one and that's where we go for the next episode it's getting into formula one who are the people he talked to to get connected to it his first attempt at a formula one race and then his first actual formula one race they are two different events two different countries that that ended up happening in and uh it leads to one of the other more memorable stories from this entire interview, which I'm looking forward to everyone being able to hear. So that'll be next. Yeah, everyone, you are not going to want to miss this. What a great storyteller. What a great chemistry you two had. The whole thing, um, I am just so excited with how it turned out and can't wait for everybody to get to hear it. Well, well, uh, we'll be back with some more Mario Andretti. What's it going to be next week? Next week. Yeah, next week. Let's do it. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Next Level with Andrew Curlin. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo. Dirty Mo.